Father, we thank you for this time of getting into your word and, and realizing, Lord, that we are in a, a warfare. Uh, because this is a fallen world we live in, you tell us to put on the whole armor of God and the fight the good fight. And so, Lord, as we look into these passages today, would you remind us that you are our strength? That we can do nothing in our own power, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so, Lord, would you bless this time as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, only a few verses. We're going to be finishing chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. But there's a lot in there to unpack. So if you'd look at verse 18, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. And by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwrecked, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. That's pretty heavy. I mean... We're looking at some stuff today where Paul's talking about turning people over to Satan. That doesn't sound fun. He's talking about people that are in the church turning them over. And as I was looking at this today, I was thinking, you know what, maybe we ought to work backwards today because I really don't want to end the message with uh, turn them over to Satan. Let's praise the Lord and pray. But this is a real thing that's going on. Paul, from a distance, is finding out there's some problems in the Ephesians church. Timothy is head over the church there in Ephesus. He's warning him to take heed, watch out for false doctrine. Don't let people get caught up in fables and genealogies and legalisms. And make sure that you have a good conscience, a pure heart, sincere faith, faith unfeigned. And he said, turn away from idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding nothing what they're saying, nor the things which they affirm. So legalism was creeping in to the church, and it happens in all churches. Somebody comes in with false doctrine, um, it needs to be addressed. That's my job as a shepherd, to protect the flock. And when we speak to someone about that and show them through the Scriptures that the things that they're trying to make people believe are not sound doctrine, if they won't listen, we have to tell them to leave. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you don't really understand this Bible, that's why I'm always telling you guys, read your Bible. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to defend the faith because when someone comes up and they say some words that you can resonate with, but then they just send you off in a different direction and you just buy it hook, line, and sinker, and next thing you know, you're so derailed, you miss heaven altogether. There's people out there that are trying to lure people away. Satan's in full force. As things are winding down, the world is getting worse and worse. Don't expect it to get better. That means we have a mission, and the mission is we need to pour into our children. 
This generation is like no other generation. Don't kid yourself. I know we used to always say, you know what? Oh, you know, Papa, it's not like it was, you know, back when I was growing up. And he'd say, oh, it's not like it was when I was growing up. You know, and everybody says that stuff. But I'll tell you what, this generation is like no other generation. And the reason is because they all walk around with computers in their pockets. And they're learning from Google about life instead of learning from Jesus Christ about life. And so as parents, we have an obligation to teach our children and to teach them well. And so Paul here is charging Timothy in verse 18. It's, it's a, a military term to, I commit to you, son Timothy. He looks at him as a son in the faith. And he says, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that, that hands had been laid on Timothy in the importance of prayer and the power of prayer to be having wanting to have an ear to hear what God is saying, to be able to hear God speak to your heart about your children or to someone else that you could go and lay hands on them and say, this is what the Lord has laid on my heart. And many of you have had people prophesy over you and pray over you and lay hands on you. And it's important that we not only do that for each other, but we do that for our children. And the question would be, was when was the last time you laid hands on your children and prayed over them? Or asked the Lord to show you something about your children that you could pour into them? He says in verse 19, having faith and a good conscience is important. But he said some have rejected sound doctrine. They've rejected... Um, a good conscience, they've rejected true faith, and they've suffered shipwreck. And he names these guys Hymenius and Alexander. Now, Hymenius, we don't know a lot about, um, except he shows up in 2 Timothy 2 with another guy, and they were telling everybody the, the resurrection's over, it's done with, they were leading pe people astray, he was being really mean so Hymenius would just call him how mean he was and Alexander we hear about in 2nd Timothy 4 Alexander the coppersmith who Paul says did me much harm God will deal with him here he says Timothy these guys are causing problems in the church you got to take care of it and he says listen I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself and he reminds him of Hymenius and Alexander he said remember I had to put them out turn them over to Satan that they would not blaspheme now there's an Alexander mentioned in Acts 19 and if it's the same Alexander that would mean that this this stuff's been going on for like nine years and you say well that's that's pretty heavy to throw somebody out of church. I know it's never easy. Church discipline is never easy. Unfortunately, too many churches today, good Christian churches, don't enforce church discipline. If somebody's causing problems in the church, you're to have a word with them. You're to talk with them. You're to, you're to encourage them to get back on track. If, if they won't listen, you have to put them out. But whenever a pastor does that, he hears so many times from the congregation, oh, where's your grace? And you're like... Uh, we've been showing grace for a year. <laughs> it just got to the place where we couldn't do it anymore. And in order to have a healthy flock, we've got to protect the sheep. Matthew 18 is very, very clear of how we're supposed to deal with things. So if you have a problem with your brother, you go to him alone. Alone. 
alone. Okay, amen. You don't go to social media. You don't talk to everybody else. You go to him alone. And you tell him the situation. If he repents, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't, at that point, then you find a couple of godly people whose hearts are in the right place. They're not trying to pick a side. They just want to see God honored. If he doesn't listen to those guys, then you bring him to church leadership. You don't bring him up in front of the church and fry him on a Sunday like some people do. You take him to the elders. If he doesn't receive the elders, the elders put him out. You remember in uh, 1 Corinthians, there was that situation in the Corinthian church where the guy was sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom. And, uh, you know, they were all just like showing up to church. Everybody knew about it. They're all just praising the Lord. And, you know, yeah, we all know so-and-so sleeping with his stepmom. And it's, well, who cares? You know, God's good. And, and, and Paul says, you know what? I judge him from here. Throw him out. Turn him over to Satan, just like this. Why, why, would God, why would God command us to do that? Because, listen, if you won't listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you about your sin, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you refuse to turn, God's going to allow you to hit rock bottom so you'll look up. He does it out of love. To those whom he loves, he rebukes and chastens. The whole purpose of the young man in Corinthian and these two men is that God would take down that hedge of protection that's around us. Thank God for the hedge. And let the enemy have full attack mode on that person that they would hit rock bottom and say, Lord, I've, re I, I've sinned against you. I repent. Heal me. Forgive me. And then God puts that hedge of protection, restores him, and puts him back into the fold. And we are to receive people back when they repent. That's the proper way of doing things. So if you don't get your sin in order, because a lot of times people say, well, you know, God must be okay with what I'm doing because he hasn't done anything to me yet. Oh, gosh, be careful. Don't mistaken his patience for being okay with what you're doing. He is patient. He is waiting. He is pricking your heart about your situation, and he's waiting for you to make a move, and he loves you so much. He's just like, come on, Steve, turn. I want to heal you. I want to take you off the shelf. I want to put you in the game. I want you to be used by me. And if I don't get that thing right, ultimately, you know what happens? I become shipwrecked, like he says right here. Speaking of some having rejected the faith and a good conscience concerning the faith, they suffered shipwreck. They hit rock bottom. A real good example of that is King Saul, the first king in Israel. If you guys remember when Israel wanted a king, and they went to Samuel, and they said, Samuel, we want a king like everybody else. And Samuel was so upset because he knew that God wanted to be their king. And so he was so upset, he goes to the Lord. The Lord speaks to Samuel, 
And Samuel was really hurt, and the Lord said, Samuel, um, don't worry about it. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so God said, well, they want a king. I'll give them a king. And, they, and he gave him Saul. Now, Saul started out good. He was humble. Matter of fact, he didn't even want the position. He was hiding. And God gave him the position and in those days, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside you like it does in the church, the believer. The Holy Spirit would come upon people, but the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in people. We, that's the blessing that we have as the bride of Christ, Holy Spirit in us, hope and the glory. Um, but the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. He did some great things. And then all of a sudden the people were praising Saul, you know, because, boy, he's just killing thousands. And, and boy, God's really using him. And they're praising him. And the problem with Saul is he started to buy into the hype. He started to buy into his own press. And the thing with God is God says, I'm not going to share my glory with another. Saul should have been just pointing to the Lord the whole time, just giving glory to God. But he started buying into his hype. And when you start to buy in your hype, you get prideful. You get arrogant. You get selfish. And you become a problem. There was a time when Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to come to offer a sacrifice. He got tired of waiting. He said, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to show. So he offered up a sacrifice like he was a priest. He did something wrong, and as soon as he offered it up, Samuel showed up and he said, what have you done? And that was the beginning of the end for Saul. And he made a, a rash oath and made this oath like, you know, it's according to God's word and, and people suffered because of it. And uh, then strike two. And then it, the worst thing that happened, or maybe not the, well, yeah, it was all bad, was when the Lord came to Samuel and told him to tell Saul to go fight the Amalekites, King Agag, and to utterly destroy them, to wipe out every man, woman, child, animals, oxen, sheep, donkeys, everything. And you say, why would God do that? And I know you guys have heard people say, well, how could a loving God say wipe out every man, woman, child, and the animals? You've got to understand an omnipotent God. You've got to understand a God that knows everything. He knows that if you were going to choose him before you were born. And so there were certain groups, certain peoples on the earth that were so demonic, satanic, in their rituals, blood sacrifice, human sacrifice, sacrificing babies, all kinds of sexual immorality. You could just go down the line. Heterosexual, uh, homosexual, lesbian, pedophiles, bestiality, that even the animals were tainted. And God said, go wipe out everything. And Saul didn't do that. He utterly destroyed the people he saved the king, and he allowed all these animals, the finest of the ox, of the sheep, and those to come forward to offer for sacrifice, and he totally disobeyed the word of God. And you kind of would think, like, well, well he kind of did it, though, didn't he? I mean, he just, he saved the king, I don't know what for, but I mean, and to offer up sacrifice unto the Lord, isn't that good? Well, let me read 
from 1 Samuel 15. Listen to this. It says, But Saul and the people spared Agag. That's the king of the Amalekites. And the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel that he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he had set up a monument for himself. Look at the pride there. And he had gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. So Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, Then what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little, in your own eyes, were, not the head of the, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down and, on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, the, the king of Amalek. And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, now listen to this carefully, what Samuel says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. You know, a lot of times we think that we can get away with not obeying the Lord with something that's going on in our life if I just give money to the church. Or if I just do something great for someone. We're supposed to do that kind of stuff. But don't ever think that's a substitute for you disobeying the Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice, is what we just heard. God wants us to obey His Word. And so Saul has now had the kingdom ripped from him. And you guys know the story that Samuel went and anointed King David. 
And David had favor with the Lord. And you know the story with Goliath. And he took out Goliath the giant. And then, you know, Saul was being plagued by the spirits. And he was really upset and everything wasn't going right. Because why? Because though you would read through the scriptures, Saul realized he had sinned. He never repented. There's a difference between I'm sorry and I repent, forgive me. I'm sorry many times is I'm sorry I got caught. Saul was sorry he got caught. You won't find anywhere where he repents in the scriptures. So his life is just falling apart. See, when we, when we keep in a lifestyle of sin and we don't repent, God puts us on the shelf, and next thing you know, we're crying out to God. He's not listening. And David starts soaring with the favor of the Lord, and he's doing great things, and he goes into battle with Saul, and then they come back with these great victories. Because why? Because God's anointed David, not Saul. And the crowd yells out, you know, Saul's killed his thousands and David's killed his tens of thousands. And Saul starts getting bitter and he starts getting jealous and he wants he wants David dead. And next thing you know, David's on the run. Anointed king didn't take over the kingdom right away. What happened? He was on the run for almost 15 years. Now, wait, if God came to you and said, you're going to be the king, I'm going to put you on the throne. You would think like tomorrow. Or maybe let's get things in order by next month. But not 15 years, you start to question yourself. You're on the road, you're running, you're like a fugitive, you got people that want to kill you, nothing's going right, you don't have good food, you don't have good accommodations, you're sleeping in caves and all this stuff, and you're thinking, Where, God, am I hearing right, God? Why would God allow that to happen to his anointed? I mean, isn't this God's anointed? His anointed ones go through troubles and trials? I think he allowed it in David's life for all those years so David could watch Saul that whole time and say to himself, I'm never going to be a king like King Saul. And sometimes God allows trials in your life so you can see things you wouldn't have saw unless you were in that trial. So you could say, I, I, would, I will never be like that. And Saul's whole life began to fall apart. And, and ultimately, Saul uh, sought after a witch. God wasn't listening to him. He, he, he wasn't getting any dreams. The prophets weren't speaking. He'd cry out to God. God just wanted to hear two words from Saul. I repent. Not, not, not to hear from him, like, well, I need you to do this for me. Which direction do I go? And God just went silent because he never said, I'll repent. And in 1 Samuel 28, it says this in verse 3, Now Samuel had died, all Israel lamented for him and buried him in Ramah. In his own city, and Saul had put the, the mediums, the wizards, the witches, the spiritists, out of the land. So there was a decree to, you know, put them all out of the land to kill them, to wipe out the sorcery. God hates witchcraft. Hello. We're not supposed to be messing with tarot cards, Ouija boards, crystal balls, psychics, uh, psychic hotline, horoscopes. Guys, it leads you to trouble. Stay away from it. God forbids it. So 
Saul went on this campaign to get rid of all those kinds of witches and warlocks because it's seeking things of hell, not the things of God. And so the Philistines had gathered together and they came in and they camped in Shunem and Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Neither did he answer him by dreams or by the Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman, basically a witch, who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said unto him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium in indoor. So Saul disguised himself and he put on clothes and he went with two other men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said, please conduct the seance for me and bring up for me one I shall name you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done and how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. So she goes into her little, you know, whatever they do. And, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said, to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what, what is his form? And she said, an old man coming up. He's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. And now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me. That's a scary thought. And does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, your sons will be with you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. That's called shipwrecked. Instead of seeking the kingdom of God for repentance, he sought the kingdom of darkness. Instead of crying out to God saying, forgive me, he cried out to hell for answers. He went to a witch. Now the funny thing is, is he didn't go to Samuel when he knew the kingdom was ripped out of his hands while Samuel was alive. Now he's seeking Samuel when Samuel's dead because God won't respond to him, because God's not listening to him, because he won't repent. 
So the big question on that whole thing, was that really Samuel or was that just a demon disguised? And there's good scholars on both sides. And the bottom line is, could it be Samuel? Is, is anything impossible for God? But then on the other hand, could it be a demon disguised? It's, the Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So whatever it is, God could do anything he wants to do. He can also inform a demon to bring across this message to Samuel, or he could have actually had Samuel deliver the message himself. Whatever the case, the problem is Samuel, Samuel when he was alive, before he died, Saul never sought him to say, I have wronged. He never cried out to God, I'm sorry, forgive me, I repent. And did you see the decline? If we don't get our life straight and we keep avoiding things God is telling us, stop doing, pretty soon, guess what? You're going to cry out to God and He's not going to hear you. But I'm a child of God. I know, but He's not listening. He just wants to hear two words. I repent. You don't want to be put on the shelf. You don't want to be shipwrecked. We're, we're called to fight a good warfare. How do we fight a good warfare? Well, when we mess up, we get right with God. We're not happy. We're not comfortable in our sin. We fight the good fight. How do you fight the good fight? What is He says there in, in the earlier verses there in verse uh, 18, he says, I charge, I commit to you, Timothy, according to the prophe prophecies previously made concerning you, that to about you that you may wage a good warfare what's a good warfare standing up for truth knowing your bible having faith a good conscience timothy was being told by told by paul don't allow false doctrine in the church don't allow fables and genealogies and legalisms and the key to waging a good warfare is to stand up for truth to, to teach sound doctrine, to pray, to obey the Word of God. That's waging a good warfare. When we come to a battle, whether it's spiritual or physical, give it to God. Pray without ceasing. So we saw an example, King Saul, of someone who shipwrecked and someone else is an example, King David, of somebody that waged good warfare. Now, David was called a man after God's own heart. Did David have problems? Yeah, just like anybody. He screwed up. Actually, he screwed up worse than probably we will. But the thing that made David different from Saul is David would come to the knowledge and understanding, I screwed up, I sinned, and I need to repent. And he would get himself right with God. That was the difference. So David was a man after God's own heart, and David was always looking to God for guidance. Do you do that? Or do you only look to God to help you out in the tough times, but you think you can handle the little times? It's the little times, the little problems that take me out, because when, when things are really out of my reach, and I have to cry out to God, and then He delivers me, and I go, praise the Lord. But then something easy comes in my life, which doesn't seem like anything. And I say, Lord, I got this. And then I fall on my face. God wants you to come to him about everything. 
You know, I, I see some young Christians, they have so much zeal, and they're like, I'm asking God, should I go here or should I go there? Should I surf here? Should I surf there? God, should I have tacos or pizza? Well, obviously, he'll say tacos, but you know, they're just, they're like, they're like I want to know what God wants me to do. And that sounds a little crazy, but it doesn't. You know, David, when he would go into battle, many times facing a battle very similar to a previous battle, would always ask the Lord, what should we do? And the reason that's important, because sometimes when we seek the Lord for a heavy battle that we can't handle, and God tells us what to do, and then we come up against that again in our life, we tend to stop and think, well, let me, let me see. God told me to do this two years ago, so that's what we'll do today. No, that is not what you'll do today. You will ask him, oh, I, it's the same situation, Steve. I don't care. There might be a different result. David would go up against the Philistines and he'd say, Lord, should I go up and fight? And the Lord would say, go. And he'd go and he'd get the victory. And then in another same situation, he'd say, Lord, should I go up and fight? And the Lord would say, stand still. I'll bring him to you. And he'd have the victory. And then he would have the same situation as before. And he said, Lord, should I go and fight? And the Lord would say, no, go around the backside. And when you hear the leaves rustling in the trees, you'll know that I went before you and you come after me. Victory. Waging the good warfare. You want to wage a good warfare? Get on your knees. Cry out to God. Read his word. Stand up for truth. Stand against false doctrine. Don't allow it. Don't allow it in your house. Don't allow it in your family. Don't allow it to infiltrate your family. The key to good warfare is sound doctrine, prayer, and obedience unto God. It's really easy. God's got such a great plan for you. And sometimes we think that, you know, does God really have a good plan for me? Are you kidding me? If you obey him and do his will you will be blessed so abundantly, you'll say, why did I ever not do this earlier? You are missing out on God's best because you're still trying to do things in your own hand. So you say, yeah, but Steve, you know, I've been going through a lot of tough things. And I'm in the will of God. What about that? Well, read the book of Job. I don't know. Job was the wealthiest, greatest man in all the world and satan wanted after him but satan says to god you got a hedge of protection around him aren't you grateful for that hedge of protection and god says you know what i'll, I'll take down the hedge you can do what you want but you can't take his life and satan wiped out everything that he had why would god allow that because god knew that job loved god he hated evil he was an upright man and that he didn't love God just because of stuff and money. And it was going to be a testimony to everyone in that area of Job's love and commitment to God. And so he never cursed God. And then Satan said, well, let me add him. And God said, OK, but you can't kill him. And he struck him with boils from head to toe. His wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? You're like, thanks, honey. But he never did. He said, I came into this world naked. I'm going out naked. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And God allowed hardship in his life to be a testimony to everyone around. And he could be using you like that today. That people are watching you in your hardship to see what you do. And if you're praising the Lord like Job, and you're giving glory, and you say, I don't care if he takes everything away, blessed be the name of the Lord, that's going to rock their world. And because of his faithfulness, God gave Job double of everything that he had. And it was a testimony to everybody. Paul charges Timothy to commit to this, the warring against sound, uh, false doctrine and, and fables and things like that. He calls Timothy his son. And he talks about how hands were laid on Timothy and he was prophesied over. And for Timothy to fight the good fight. Timothy was a man of prayer. He was a man of the Word of God. And Paul reminds him of those who prophesied over him to encourage him to do the will of God. Sometimes we need encouraging, don't we? Sometimes we know this is God's plan for me. Someone may have laid hands and prophesied over us. We know that, but we have some doubts because it's not going the way we expected. Isn't that awesome how that works? I mean, it's like God takes it so out of your hands where you can't take any glory. And, and so Paul says these guys prayed over you. So he said, fight the good fight, stand up for truth, take everything to the Lord in prayer. Don't sh suffer shipwreck. Timothy was his son in the faith, and it made me think of dads today. How many dads do we have here? And you have children. How are you pouring into your kids? We need to instill into our kids the importance of praying to God, reading their Bible, standing up for truth, turning away from the things of the world, fighting the good fight. When was the last time you had that conversation with your son or your daughter? When was the last time you laid hands on your son or your daughter? When was the last time you cried out to God, God, show me something about my son. Show me something about my daughter that I could pray over them and pour into them. I say that because the world's insane, guys. The world is out of control. Satan's wreaking havoc, and it's going to get stronger and stronger. The Lord's coming soon. I don't think we have much longer. We need to pour into our children right now, our teenagers, this next generation, because they're going to be left holding the torch if God delays. And are they going to be strong? I don't know. Our kids need Jesus Christ so much right now. Because they're being pulled away by the things of the world. And God has appointed us as parents to raise up our children, to train them up in the ways of the Lord, to teach them to serve, to teach them to pray, to teach them to know their Bible, and to share the gospel, and to be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit in a radical way. To say, Lord, I want my child to live for you more than I ever did. Anoint him. Move by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Change him. Use him to turn the world right side up. 
that they would be kids that are committed to prayer and committed to God. That when he shows up in the clouds, he finds them busy about the Father's business. Wouldn't that bless your heart to see your kids busy? I'm so worried about this next generation because you know why? It's not like any other generation. You know, you got, you got cell phones and social media, you got TikTok, and it's all full of hate. Hate and evil and immorality. And how we need to pour into our children. And now I'm going to put you on the spot, dads. It's your job. Do not let mom be the spiritual leader in your house. Thank God for spiritual women. Don't get me wrong. But shame on you if your wife's outshining you in the Word of God. You have responsibility by God. Well, you say, I don't know as much as my wife. That's okay. You just show the effort and God will honor that. You just start having more of a relationship, talking to God, He will honor that. And just like Paul laid hands on Timothy, his son in the faith, dads, we need to lay hands on our kids and pray for them. You need to pray over them that the Holy Spirit is going to move in their lives in this crazy world, that they'll be able to stand strong. You need to pray protection over their lives as they go off to school and into the community. Because kids are learning things at way earlier age than I did. Let me close with this. Did you ever hear the story of the big candle and the little candle? Oh, one kid did. The big candle and the little candle represent a father and a son. And the candles are lit. The big candle is who? My son. The little candle's me. Why? Because my life's about burned out. It's been melting down, melting down, melting down. I'm the little candle. He's the big candle. He's got his whole life in front of him. My job is to set as many people on fire as I can for Jesus before I burn out. Before he takes me out. My job as a dad is to light my children on fire for God and to pour into them, to pass that mantle off to them and to know that they will finish and finish well. We need to take the time. Dads, I love you guys. I don't know your situation, but I do know this. You need to get alone Cry out to God to show you what God's going to do in your son or daughter's life. And then you need to go over and lay your hands on your child and pray for the perfect will of God to be done. Amen? Father, we thank you um, for truth. We thank you that you've made all the solutions so easy. Lord, help us to just yield ourselves to you to be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.